We're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter 17, and verse 5. Past couple weeks, it seems that faith has been a central part of the spirit of the sermon. And I still feel led in that vein to do so here today. And God is going to help somebody here. All of us, Lord willing. Luke 17, 5 and 6, the word of the Lord says, The apostles said to the Lord Jesus, increase our faith. That's a pretty good request. And they didn't say increase our finances. You know, some preachers, that's how they build their ministry is going out preaching, hey, God wants to increase your finance. Never did Jesus turn to the, the disciples and say, you know what we need? We need more money. Never did that. He always used the impossible he always used the things that would just seem like they could never happen except a miracle be involved. And that's how God works. And the apostles, in fact, the question when they said increase their faith, the context literally is about forgiveness. If you read the, the verses prior to that was basically if someone keeps wronging you, like at what point do you stop forgiving them because they've done you so wrong? And Jesus says, never stop forgiving them. And so like their response is like, um, we need you to increase our faith right now. How can I forgive someone this many times when they've wronged me this many times? That's the immediate context, but the request is still there of an increase of faith. In verse 6, Jesus says, if you have faith, everyone say faith. Faith as a grain of mustard seed, this small, tiny little seed. You might say Unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. What you speak to should obey you if you would have an increase of faith. If you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say, and this is very important, that you see that, that three-letter word right there, say, to speak, to verbally, to audibly say something to your situation. Whatever the situation is, you got to speak to that situation. I want to talk just for the next couple moments about regions beyond reach. Regions or territories beyond our reach. Areas that are beyond our reach. Now you can feel pretty big. You can feel tough until you're confronted with a simple task. That you're unable to perform. Be kind of like a T-Rex. As massive and powerful and huge as that T-Rex is. If you asked him to tie his shoes. He would find himself in a very difficult situation. How on earth can this massive beast lean down and tie his shoes. Even though a T-Rex is a lot larger than all of us. Now if you're here today and you're, you're, you're not above or you are above four foot nothing, then this sermon might not make any sense to you whatsoever. But you may know the feeling if your kitchen shelves look like the one in the picture where the first set of shelves, they have dishes in them, but the second set of shelves, there are nothing there because they are beyond the reach. I don't know if any, does anyone's kitchen look like that? My wife and I, we're like the tiniest people in all of Watertown, South Dakota. And we have the tallest shelves, I would venture to say, in all of Watertown, South Dakota. 
the ceilings are like a thousand foot tall and we are about a thousand centimeters below sea level. And so it's hard to reach that. And so I feel pretty good sometimes when my wife asks me to reach something because I've never had anyone else really ask me that, but she happens to be an inch shorter than me. And that extra inch I have makes me look tall in her sight. And I appreciate moments like that. But this feeling I am speaking of, it's the feeling I feel, or maybe some people feel when you get into the vehicle to drive and you go to reach for the steering wheel, you go to reach the pedal and you're a little too small to reach the steering wheel. You're a little too small to reach the pedal. You remember a few months ago, we had an evangelist here named Landon Gore, who's like, I don't know, eight foot something. And uh, I picked him up in, in my mini Cooper, my, my go-kart and, um, and he, he likes to do little secret pics, like pictures that when you're, you don't realize, you think he's talking or paying attention, but he's actually doing something else. And uh, he took this picture of me while I'm driving him from Sioux Falls to Watertown for church. And I, I should have put the picture up there, but the picture basically is like his knees. He's like in fetal position to fit in the car. His knees buckled up against the dashboard. And the picture of me is like almost hugging the steering wheel so I can reach it. And he gets blessed every time he looks at that picture Why I feel rather insecure. But I don't want to talk so much about the physical or the natural in the sense where we are trying to reach for something worldly or carnally or materially and fall short. The natural is just a very basic way to understand the spiritual. That's why it's very important that you don't just dismiss and throw away the Old Testament and just embrace the New Testament The Old Testament was a type and a shadow of things to come. What God did in the natural in the Old Testament was for us to understand the spiritual in this current testament that we are living in. In fact, the New Testament wouldn't make a lick of sense unless you had an understanding of the Old Covenant because it wouldn't make sense why Jesus did what he did and what the crucifixion and resurrection was all about. But I feel very strong in the Holy Ghost here today. I want to go beyond my limitations. I'm not talking about going beyond uh, uh, what restrictions God has set that we ought not to disobey. But there's limitations that we put on ourselves. And I want to go beyond the limitations I put on myself. And I want to go beyond the limitations I put on God. And I want to go beyond the limitations I put on the church. I want to go beyond where we are as a church And most importantly is this fact that God wants you to go beyond. God not only wants you to go further, God wills it to be done. God desires for us to go further than where we currently are. I don't know who I'm talking to uh, today, but I believe there's just an application to everybody. Inside of us is this yearning, this desire to go Further than where we currently are. If you feel like you are just kind of in park in the the proverbial parking lot. If you feel as if you are stuck or idle in your situation. And you know in your heart of hearts there's got to be more. It is because God is indicating to you there is more. God wants you to go beyond your reach. God wants you to get a hold of something that you wish you could get a hold of. In the book of Matthew chapter 17, we read, and we got a number of verses here today, and I know the danger of that, but I feel very strongly to do so today. And when they were come to the multitude, in verse 14, there came a certain man 
And he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's a lunatic. Anyone feel that way about your kids? And Lord, my, my kid is crazy. But this is not just my kid's wild and, and he's got ADHD, LMNOP. My kid is demon-possessed, literally, in this scene here. And he says, oftentimes my child falls into the fire and falls into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. I, I tried the church thing. I tried the, uh, the religion thing. I tried bringing, you know, my needs to where I thought could be met and they could not be met. And Jesus did not coddle the disciples and say, no big deal. I understand. Jesus said in verse 17, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Don't don't be content with not having what you're reaching for. Don't be content with just saying, you know what, I, it just it didn't work, it didn't happen, so I'm just going to quit. Jesus did not coddle that. Jesus did not say it's no big deal, just, you know, just move on to the next thing. He says, no, that's a faithless generation. That is perverse thinking. That is so wayward from my will for you. And Jesus, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring the boy to me. And so Jesus, with the boy in front of him, Jesus rebukes the devil inside that young man. And the devil departs out of him. And from that very hour, that boy is cured. And the disciples privately on the sideline with Jesus said, why could we not cast them out? And you need to ask yourself questions every now and again. You know, if something is not working in your marriage, if something is not working in your prayer life, if something is not working in the altar, if something seems off, you should not just continue doing something that's not working. You need to find out and ask the honest question, why is this not working? Why has this not happened yet? That's not a faithless question. That's not an inappropriate question. It is a question that ponders and begs for the answer of how can I fix this? How can I get this to work? How many want your faith to work a little better than it's working right now? I, I'm thankful for how far my faith has taken me. But there's some things I've come against that I'm just thinking like, God, I'm beating my head against the wall here. I want to pierce through that. I want to break through this veil. If that applies to you, I ask that you'd lean in and listen attentively today. And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Now, he's talking to the disciples here. He's talking to those that have given everything. They left their family. They left their career. They left everything to follow Jesus. And he says, well, you don't got enough faith. Wait, what? Jesus, we kind of like, you know, have given everything for you. And then Jesus makes this statement that we heard just a moment ago in the opening text. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say. There's that word again, say, about piping up, speaking up, talking to your situation. The other illustration Jesus gave was a tree. This one is a mountain. No matter how small or how big, you can speak to your situation and tell it to go somewhere else. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. The Greek word for nothing means nothing. There's, there's not a single thing out there that is too difficult for your God. There's nothing out there. Now, I know in our own minds, in our own thinkings, we're like, I don't know how it's going to work out. I, I, I know what's going to happen because inevitably it always happens this way. But Jesus said, if you would just start talking to it in a different way with a different faith, you can move this situation and turn it around. But then Jesus gives insight in verse 21, this kind. What kind? This kind of faith does not happen but by prayer and fasting. 
Now, there's more than saving faith. We, we, we like to kind of stay around that area and just be thankful that God has saved us. You know, we, we believed in him. We've repented. We've had our sins washed away in Jesus' name, baptism. We've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we just kind of like we're just thankful to be saved. But Jesus says there's more than this saving faith. There's a changing faith, a faith that transforms, a faith that changes the outcome, that kind of faith. I'm thankful for the eternal difference that faith has made in my life, that I have a heavenly home. Like we could sing that song, it is well with my soul. Though, though all these troubles and trials around me, ultimately it is well with my soul. But there is an element of faith that you can tap into where the outcome of the natural of what's going on can be altered, can be changed because of this thing called faith. This increase of faith, this kind of faith is linked to prayer and fasting. If you are not a praying person, you ought to be interested in listening today. If there is something that needs to be radically changed in your world, in your family, in your home, in your health, whatever it is, there is a type of faith that changes those things. It's a faith beyond salvation, not better than salvation, but it's just another type of faith that you can operate in. In Luke 11 and 1, it came to pass that as Jesus was praying in a certain place, and this is important, you've got to find that certain place to pray. You need to assign a time and a place for tomorrow that you're going to meet Jesus and talk to. Jesus had certain places and certain times where he went to pray. And if you don't set a certain time in a certain place, the likelihood of you accomplishing that is not very good. And so if you today set up tomorrow by saying, Tomorrow, God, if you wake me up and allow me to live and breathe air, I'm going to pick this time and this place to pray. And the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. The truth is we all need to learn to pray. There's always something to learn. No matter how old you are, you, you might be twice my age and been serving God twice as long as me, but you still have something to learn, and I have something to learn. Now, I might be in the ministry, but I still have something to learn about prayer about God. If you be willing to learn, there's someone that's willing to teach you. And the, the blessing of being a part of a church is God has set up the ministry in the church to be willing to teach you if you're willing to learn. If you know diddly squat about prayer, you've never prayed more than a second for your cereal, you've never called on the name of Jesus, you've never done anything, or you've never entered into deeper dimensions of prayer, and you are curious about it, if you have a willingness to learn and a willingness to open yourself, there are willing people in this church that are power, I mean powerful people, that are people, there are people in this room that pray an hour a day every day. There's people in this room that pray two hours a day every day. There's people in this room that pray three hours a day every single day we may not be the largest group of people in the united states of america but i would put up some of the prayer lives that are in this room against any movement there are powerful people in this room because they wanted to learn to pray prayer seems boring prayer seems pretty dull until you actually learn how to pray then it becomes an exciting life if you're willing to learn i'm willing to teach you there's people in this church that we meet every day and we, we pray together just so we can learn and we can develop. Iron sharpens iron. And if you're not praying daily, if you're praying less than 30 minutes a day, if you're not sure what to say when you pray, if you're not seeing breakthrough when you pray, if you're willing to learn, there's people in this room willing to teach you. 
And that's how I learned to pray, is to be around praying people in praying environments and, and to listen to the interaction they have with God. And then I, I learn, I glean, I grow, and then I go into the solitude. Because there's two types of prayer in your Bible. There's prayer in multitude and there's prayer in solitude. And both of them are essential. You need both of them. Because there's times you can't do it in solitude. You need to be attached to the body to elevate you in faith and to provoke you and to help you and to pray for you and with you. Now, verse 2, he said unto them, when you pray, not if you pray. Prayer for a Christian is not an option. It's a lifestyle. But look at that, that three-letter word again. When you pray, say. Now, too much, if, if you're here from the north, you know about the Dakotas. You know about Minnesota. You know about, you know, up here that, you know, we don't like to say much. We don't like to talk much. But Jesus said he's not talking to a culture. He's talking to a people. You need to say when you pray. You need to go beyond mental ascent. Now, it's one thing if you, you have a mental condition, you have, you know, you're mute in speech and you actually cannot utter things like that. That's a whole different story. But I don't believe I'm looking at anybody in this room that has the inability to say when they pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. These elements that you see in that one verse, our Father, relationship, hallowed, worship. Thy kingdom come, the will and the purpose of God on earth, uh, as in heaven on earth. That is the change. Those four things in that one verse. If you would learn to pray, approaching God, knowing that it's for your relationship with him, and you begin to worship him, not just read off words, you know, emotionless or heartless, and begin to ask for his will and purpose and pray things begin to change. That is in the Lord's prayer, is not to be content with the circumstance, but for the circumstance to be altered and changed. As it is in heaven, I want it in earth. It is not the will of God for your family to be falling apart. It is not the will of God for you to be struggling with the same addiction since you were a teenager and you're 40 years old and and you're still battling the same. That is not the will of God. God, what your will on heaven is, I want it here on earth. Verse 3, give us day by day our daily bread. The provision, you know, it, it, it comes by the petition. It's coming to God saying, God, I, I, I need another day. I need another blessing. I need you to come through today. Not just yesterday, not just now, but today. The petition brings uh, that provision from God. Verse 4, I'm hurrying fast because I got a point to make here. Verse 4, forgive us our sins. In the element of prayer, we ask for forgiveness of self. For we also forgive everyone that indebted to us. Don't ask God just to forgive you. God now wants you to forgive others that have wronged you. That's, that, that is critical. Because if you try to do anything else in prayer, and you got a heart that will not forgive people that have hurt you, you can't go anywhere. Jesus goes on to say, look, if you will not forgive others, I will not forgive you. That, that, that's a heaven or hell issue. Jesus said, look, if you want to retain their sins, I'll retain your sins. I, I, I'm going to make sure that you do not have access to the heavenlies if you are going to withhold it from someone else. And then we pray, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. It is ultimately the desire to live a holy life. That's where prayer should be taking you. It should be changing you. It should be altering. You should be different today than you were 20 years ago. You should be different today than you were 20 days ago. That's how you know prayer's working. Prayer's working because it begins to alter you. It should change your demeanor, your temperament, your lifestyle. Verse 5, moving fast here, I know. Which of you have a friend? Anybody? Anyone got a friend? We got a friendless church. Anyone got a friend? All right. 
So Jesus this is your this is your story. This is your example. If you have at least one friend and somebody somebody comes to you at midnight, this inconvenient moment an hour and they say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, note the urgency. Who goes to someone's house at midnight, starts banging on the door. But urgency doesn't care what hour. Urgency disregards manners. Why, why are we talking about this? This is the answer to the question. Or request, teach us to pray. And this is the example Jesus gives for you and I to learn how to pray. And so at the midnight hour, when things are urgent, if you really want to know how to pray, you don't just pray, you know, you pick and choose just some certain time, certain place. Sometimes it has to be an urgency in your spirit and you got to disregard manners you got to disregard your personality because the need is too urgent for you to be dignified in verse six it says and he says this is why he's beaten on the door at midnight i have a friend that's come over he's come to me and i have nothing Somebody has come to me. A person has come to me. A situation has come to me. A need has presented itself to me. And I have nothing. Or another way of saying it is, prayer is, I know I can't, but I know who can. I know I can't, but I am at the door of the one I know who can. Who can. The door that I am pounding on at the most inconvenient hour in the most ill-mannered way. This person beyond this barrier has what I don't have for the situation that has presented itself to me. I don't know what uh, position you're in and what situation is set before you, but if you can ever just get an urgency in your spirit and go to the place where you know the person that can do what you cannot do. His name is Jesus Christ. And if we would ever just get desperate and urgent enough to say, God, I can't, but I know you can. That's why I'm here. In verse seven, it says in this parable that the person within answers, well, leave me alone. The door's shut right now. My kids are asleep. They're in bed. I can't get up to give you what you're asking for. But the illustration is to keep praying till you get through to the other side. Keep praying till you get through to the other side. Jesus is on the other side of this door. Jesus, the answer, the provision is on the other side. So why go anywhere else? Why pick something up? But our thing is we go and we knock on the door and we give up after one time. So we'll go and we'll try to make sure that, you know, the medical establishment can figure it out. The, the psychologist can figure it out. You know, the money can figure it out. The job can figure it out. We, we'll find options. We'll find, you know, option B, C, D, E, F, G. But if Jesus is the only option, you will not go anywhere but remain at the doorstep until the door is open. And he says, though he will not rise, verse 8, and give him because he's his friend, but because of importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. That word importunity means without bashfulness, shameless, just completely undignified, not worried about how they look, not worried about how they sound, not worried how others may perceive them. They're urgent 
the need is too urgent for to, to be concerned with what people think about how I worship, how I pray, how I sound, or how I look in church. I'm not worried today if you think I look like an idiot. I'm not worried today if you think this is weird. I'm not worried about it. I know the urgency of the hour in which I am living. Therefore, I go to that door with importunity. I have no shame. I'm un, I'm, I, I got no bashfulness in me. I am going to go with importunity. Now, importunity is our opportunity to reap what we need. It's an opportunity for you if you would allow it in your life. When you pray, say. But how you say is of even greater importance. We don't have time to go through every situation, but every fast, every prayer done in the Bible with faith and fervor is answered. Every one of them. When you read a fasting in your Bible, it's always an urgent situation. Now, I, I'm not against routine fasting once a week kind of thing, but there's no indication of those prayers being answered. I believe it's a good, healthy discipline. We need to do it. I, I, it's healthy. But, but when we're talking about, like, you know, there's an urgent need that calls you to urgency, all of a sudden, every time in your Bible, when that kind of fasting and that kind of prayer comes before the throne of God, God answers it every time. Every time. And so it's not just praying. It's how you're praying. It's your temperament, how you're praying. It's your approach, how you're praying. Verse 9, Jesus says, ask, it will be given you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be open. Everyone that asks, receives. Everyone that seeks, finds. Everyone that knocks, it's opened. And if a son asks bread of any of you that's a parent, are you going to give your kid a stone? If, you're, if your child asks for a fish, are you going to give your child a serpent? If your child asks for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? And if you and I, as parents, being evil, being sinners, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? If you're here and you're a parent, do you abuse your child or do you provide for your child? How is it that you have more faith in yourself than you do in your God? He said, you know how to take care of your kids. You got faith in yourself, but you don't have faith in your God. That when you go to your God, he'll do the same for you as you do for your child. Your, your heavenly father, he loves you. He cares about you. He does not cast you out. He wants to answer your need. I'm just about done. It's, it's 2.39. I'm, I'm monitoring time. Luke 18 and 1. Jesus goes on saying, and he says in this parable, men ought always to pray, always, not just Sundays, always pray, and not to faint or don't give up, don't quit. And he gives another parable. There's a city with a judge. This judge doesn't fear God. He doesn't, he doesn't care about people. And there, a widow goes to that judge in verse 3, and she says, can, can you take care of my situation? Somebody has been doing me wrong. And the Bible says in verse 4, this judge, not for a while, but afterward, he said with himself, I don't, I don't fear God. I don't respect people. But in verse 5, he says, this woman is persistent. She keeps troubling me. So I'm going to answer her request. Lest by her continual coming, she weary me. It's very important you notice that continual. She continued going with the same request. In verse 6, the Lord says, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him? Don't just pray about it one time, but keep continually praying about it day 
after day. Pray about it in the morning. Pray about it in the evening. Continually pray about your same situation that has yet to change. Verse 8. And he says, I tell you, if that judge that does not fear God or people would answer that lady's request, I, your, your God, he will do it quicker than that person that did not have any respect to God will do it. But here's Jesus' concern in verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, will he find that kind of faith on earth? Jesus' concern was the level of faith in people to be faithful in prayer, to continually come with the same request. He says, when I return, my concern, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, when I come back in, in whatever year, the 21st century, if the Lord comes here in the next day, in the next year, he says, if I come back, I'm just concerned there's going to be people that are not faithful in prayer. They're not praying about the same thing. They quit on it. They gave up on it. Now, you have to get this. Like the friend at the door, that first parable, the guy that went to his friend's door, he did so with intensity. And like this widow at the throne, she did it with consistency. One was very intense and fervent and passionate about it. And this other one was just continual about it. She went day after day. We don't know how long the guy was at the door at midnight, but more than likely it happened that same evening. Because the guy's like, you're going to wake up my kids. You're going to wake up my kids. And so he gave it to him quick as he possibly could so the kids wouldn't wake up. But this situation with the widow, it wasn't, it, it didn't happen the first day. It was day after day after day after day after day after day. When you come to God with intensity and you come to him consistently, God is going to grant your request. Now, this can aggravate us because it's like, oh, God, why doesn't God just answer the first time? Why doesn't he just answer it? Why, you know, I don't want to keep bugging him about it. He already knows about it. But that wouldn't be faith. Because if it's just a formula that you go to and you say it and you, you get it and you walk away, it takes no faith. Sometimes, it'll take faith the first time or first couple times when God immediately answers your prayer. But if he does it the first time, every time you got God figured out. But we don't figure out God. We, 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 his ways are not our ways. It, 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 may, it may seem like it could build faith if he does it the first time every time, but it will never build faithfulness. See, faithfulness, here's real faith. Faith is, it didn't happen today, but I know it's still going to happen, so I'm going to come back tomorrow. It didn't happen the second time, but I know there's no other door to go to, so I'm going back to the same door again. And it didn't happen after a week. It didn't have to happen after a year. But I'm, it's like, the, like last week we talked about the evidence, right? The evidence. No matter what the situation says, it's what the evidence says. It's what the scripture says. When I, when I go to a situation, say this is my situation here, and I pray over the situation, and I don't see the answer, I don't see a change, I don't see an altar, I go back to the written document, I look at it, and it says, whatsoever you ask in my name. If you ask in faith, okay, well, that's what it said to do. So I'll go right back again to the same situation. Because every time I go back to the book, it didn't change. Nothing about the book changed. And so I'm going to be faithful with what the book said to do. And so I'll go right back to the same person and I'm going to pray for their healing. I'll go back to the same person and pray that they get the Holy Ghost. If somebody doesn't get the Holy Ghost when I pray for them, I'm not going to lose my faith. If someone does not get healed when I pray for them, I'm not going to lose my faith. Because if I lose my faith upon that, I'm losing my faith in the evidence of God's forever word settled in heaven. The word does not waver. Therefore, our faith should not waver. We okay?
I'm, I'm hurrying up. It's 240. I'll be done before 3 o'clock or right at 3. So 15 minutes and I'm done. For those who are counting and ready to say, shut up. Now shut up. I'll get out of your way. That wouldn't be building our faithfulness. Faith is more than a moment. It's a momentum. It's a continualness. I continue in my faith. It is faithfulness. This kind of prayer produces this kind of faith. Increased prayer, increased faith, if you do it right. If your faith is not increasing, perhaps consider changing the way you're praying. We must go beyond comfort. We must go beyond what's common. We must go beyond custom. No matter what your tradition is, you've got to go beyond if you want to reach what's beyond you. You've got to go further. You've got to stretch yourself. And if you push beyond yourself, you will reach beyond yourself. When you pray is when your faith is increased. Last portion of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. I'm going to read it in the King James Version. Then I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. Each verse I'll go back and forth. Just about done. But we will not boast of things without our measure or beyond our reach. But according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Basically, Paul is saying God granted the measure to reach them. But Paul wanted to reach greater measure. Paul wanted to extend his reach. Look at verse 13, same verse in the New Living Translation. We will not boast about things done outside our area of authority. But we will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work God has given us, which includes our working with you. So we're, just take us as a church. Here we are, and we have our boundaries. You know, we, we can rejoice in what we hope to see. But Paul says, I'm going to take note of this is what we have seen. But I want to go beyond those boundaries. I want to go further. Verse 14 in the King James says, we stretch not ourselves beyond measure. And that's the problem right there. If we're not stretching ourselves beyond our measure, we got to create the elasticity in us. We got to stretch. I'm not, you know, saying spiritual yoga or anything like that, but we need to extend our reach. And if he says, for we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. And if we're not intentional, we won't stretch ourselves beyond our measure. In verse 14, same verse in the New Living Translation, Paul says it like this. We are not reaching beyond these boundaries when we claim authority over you. But he's saying, I want to reach. He says, this is how it's been. We've, we've been, you know, your spiritual authority and, you know, we visited you. But we were the first to travel all the way to Corinth with the good news of Christ. So he's saying, this is the boundary. This is, this is where it stopped here in Corinth. Okay. We are the people that came to you. We taught you the truth. We reached you. And, you know, he was a missionary to the city of Corinth. And wonderful things happened there. And so he's still reaching for more. We read in verse 15, not boasting of those things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased. Look what happens when your faith is increased. We shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. This is, this, this is why I really feel the Holy Ghost for three weeks straight has just been hammering faith. This topic, this, this, this principle of faith. Because here's what happens when your faith is increased. 
we will be enlarged by your faith according to our rule abundantly. Verse 15 says it like this. Nor do we boast and claim credit for the work someone else has done. Instead, we hope that your faith will grow so that the boundaries of our work among you will be extended. Think about, the, think about what God has called and missioned our church to do. God says, when your faith increases, it will be so that we grow, the boundaries of our work will be extended. We can't boast of what we've not done. But I have hope shortly we will be boasting about things that we have never done. That's the power right now. Yes, we preach and we prophesy and we believe for the future. But see, for the present, our faith must be increased. And if our faith is increased in the present, the future is bright. The future means we will extend our boundaries. We will go beyond our reach. We will go beyond our borders. We will go beyond any measure we've ever been limited to. Verse 16, last verse, and I'm wrapping it up. Check this out. Oh, I, I don't know about you. Maybe no one here is excited, but I'm, I'm stoked. I'm going to have a great time in the altar, and you guys can watch, or you can go eat pancakes. Verse 16. He says, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. And verse 16 in the New Living Translation says this. We will be able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you where no one else is working. Then there will be no question of our boasting about work done in someone else's territory. Faith must be stretched to reach just beyond me. But prayer must be stretched to stretch my faith. Then I could believe to reach beyond myself. I can reach people in places that have yet to be reached. Regions beyond reach can be reached. When you look at that verse in verse 16 in the King James, he says to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. I know we're not the world's largest congregation, but it's not it's not a number game. But I always am conscious of numbers because numbers do represent a soul. So you got to take inventory of that. You got to put that into account. But if if if. If we lack faith, we'll never go beyond our measure. We'll we'll never go beyond our reach. And so the Bible says in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4 and verse 10, despise not the day of small things. And so in this setting, what we are able to do is to have a life of prayer that increases our faith. And if we have that increase of faith, Paul says when your faith is increased, We can reach beyond our region. We can reach beyond the four walls of where we are currently at. What the Holy Ghost is telling me that I I really believe this with all my heart. We are not very far off from planning another church, from starting another work where the gospel has not yet been preached. South Dakota has, has hundreds of tiny little towns all around, unchurched, unreached, and people brush them off as too small, too inconvenient. It's not, not going to build this kind of megachurch kind of thing. And when we, when we diminish our faith like that, we diminish our reach. But if we can ever get a love and compassion for every city, for every town, for every county, and say, God, 
I have faith that no matter the size of our church, that does not limit our reach. Because when I get into prayer, I'm not limited. I enter into heavenly places with the divine. I am with God seated in the throne room. And when I'm in the throne room with Jesus Christ, I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to worry about man labor. I don't have to worry about building facilities. I don't have to worry about anything if I can be seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And when I'm in the throne room, that's when I get bold. That's when we make radical statements. That's when we make prophetic declarations that seem counterproductive to our reality in the natural. But see, God's not confined to the boundaries of this building. God is not confined to the number of the people in this room. God just wants to see who will come with him in heavenly places and say, Lord, lead me. Do you want me to do a Bible study in Clear Lake? God, do you want me to start, Lord, a church in Florence? God, do you want me to build something in Kranzburg. God, what about Millbank? God, what about Webster? God, what about Madison? God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? God, I want to reach beyond my region. I want to go further. I want to go far. Let's stand together. It may not register with every person in this room, but I believe it, it is registering with some people in this room. And that is key. That is vital. Because I, I, I strongly feel that God has positioned this church to be a strategic church, to be a hub, to be a place where there is a network of churches that come out of this church. I believe that with all of my heart. I, my prayer is, God, before I die, I would like to at least see seven churches from the Jesus Church. I want to see it in these towns. I want to see something, Lord, in, in, in a, a reservation. I want to see something in Sisseton. I want to see something in... in um, Millbank. I want to see something in Lord Webster. I want to see something in Florence. I want to see something in Redfield. I want to see something somewhere, God. Extend our reach. But see, if you're here and you think, oh, how on earth? Well, how, how, well that doesn't make sense. How can we do that? Basically, what God is do, telling you to do right now is to increase your faith by increasing your prayer. You will never increase your faith. If you never increase your prayer, everything is birthed in prayer. Everything is born from a prayer room closet, a prayer meeting of people. And all of a sudden, I was listening to a sermon the other day with my wife, and, and, and this was the essence of what somebody said, is just basically when you're praying and you find your, you find your stride in prayer, you start saying things that you never would have said. Like, you're, like you say, and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? That's that kind of bold. Pardon me. That, that's, that's the place you can get in prayer. And, and, I, and I know I, I probably sound like I'm beating a dead horse by always using this building, but it's the most easily visual representation of a, a, a pretty recent miracle four years ago when we got this building, it seemed absolutely ludicrous to even want this building when we're trapped in a house with just a handful of people. But see, it was in prayer that all of a sudden I found my stride and I began to speak those things which be not as though they were. And that's why we are in a million dollar miracle debt free. That's the only reason. And if you'd be crazy enough, to just start a prayer life. 
that goes beyond five minutes of our Father who art in heaven and then close out when you're done. If you be radical enough to dig yourself into the prayer room and begin to learn how to pray and to increase your prayer and say, Jesus, teach me to pray. Teach me to linger. Teach me, God, to be in your presence. All of a sudden, you will, the fuel tank of faith will begin to rise. And this is the lesson Jesus gave. It's very important. And I go back to it and I'm done. Is the fact that Jesus taught the, the fervency and he taught the consistency. He taught somebody that would not stop banging on the door radical at an inconvenient time in an ill manner way. They just would not let up. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. That's how that's literally how he taught us to pray connected to the Lord's prayer. But we have such motionless prayer. That it's just like eh, prayer. But man, if you ever put your heart in an hour of urgency in prayer, God says, I'll answer that. I'll open the door. And the other thing he taught us was don't stop praying for it. Even if you haven't seen it started, just keep praying for it. And many of us in this room are a product of somebody that would not stop praying for us. I was so lost. I was so gone. I was so far out of reach. But I had a father and a mother. I had a brother that would not stop praying for me. And God saved my soul. He pulled me out of this world. He pulled me out of my addiction. He pulled me out of my lifestyle because somebody kept praying for me. I want to encourage you here today to be fervent in your prayer, to be consistent in your prayer, and to realize if you would do that, if you would increase your prayer life. And, and a lot, there's a lot of young families here. And listen, if you're not going to listen to anything, listen to this. Don't use your kids as an excuse for an inability to grow your prayer life. You can grow your prayer life in, in that season. You can. It's work. It's discipline. It's difficult. But you can do it. And you have to do it. Other words, you're going to go like 18 years without prayer. And then you'll be praying for the next 18 years. God saved my 18-year-old kid. Right? So you just got to keep praying every day. And don't stop praying that prayer faith, prayer that persists, prayer that pursues, prayer that won't let up. I wonder if there's someone here today that wants to go beyond their reach. You want to reach a region that seems so impossible from your situation right now. Is there anyone that would like to come to this altar today? Is there anyone that would like to pray the prayer of faith with me? Is there anybody that would like to pursue God with your circumstance and say, Jesus, I want to extend my reach. I want to stretch myself, God. I'm thankful for saving faith. But, Lord, I want to exercise changing faith. I want to exercise a faith that changes the situation, that alters the atmosphere. Lord, I'm thankful for the church in Watertown. But, God, I don't want to be obsessed with Watertown where I close my eyes to the cities around us, where I close my eyes to the people around us. Lord, there are communities, Lord, within an hour of us. Lord, where there's 3,000 people, there's 300 people, there's 30 people. Lord, everybody in this state, God, Lord, you bled and died for. I want to be a church that goes beyond the boundaries. I want to be a church that extends my reach, God. I want to broaden my reach, God. I want to broaden the measure, God. In the name of Jesus, come on, begin to pray. I believe it right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Lift up your voice.